WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. On the topic of the Steelers and all their talent on offense, a lot of praise has been thrown their, their way this offseason. For instance, NFL.com claimed that the Steelers have the third best offense in football. ESPN and Pro Football Focus ranked the Steelers as having the seventh best roster in the NFL. The Steelers had five guys in the top 50 and two in the top five as it related to that player poll. With all that praise, it got me thinking. Should the Steelers have gone to more Super Bowls in the Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin era? And if so, is coaching to blame along the way? You know, before we really dive into this, let's clearly state that we're talking about the Steelers getting to Super Bowls. Not so much winning Super Bowls, because that's a crapshoot. The Patriots have lost three Super Bowls, and they've been the dominant team of this era. I'm talking about getting to more Super Bowls. The short answer to the question is yes. Given the amount of talent that the Steelers have had in recent years, and by recent, oh, I mean the last 25 between Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin, uh, I would say yes, they should have gone to more Super Bowls. But when we say should have, we have to be careful in how we apply that. I think if you look at the rosters that they've had, pound for pound, player for player, Consider the fact that the Steelers have had no less than an average of five to six pro bowlers per season. Like, for instance, maybe I shouldn't say average. I should say mode. You know, the mode, when you do the mode in your, what was it, eighth grade math class, the number that appears more often than anything else. It's not so much the average because it could be skewed by a couple years they had zero. It could be skewed by last year when they had ten. But they've averaged about four and a half to five pro bowlers per year. And, in fact, it's usually been five or six. Six guys they've had ten times in the Pro Bowl under Cowher and Tomlin. Five times, actually 14 times, they've had five Pro Bowlers. So again, to clarify, since Cowher and Tomlin have been the coach of the Steelers, they've had, in those seasons, 14 years where they've had five Pro Bowlers and ten when they've had six. That's an enormous amount of talent. And they've been to four Super Bowls in that time. So that might seem disproportionate. So when we say that they should have been to more, I say they should have based on that talent, but some other numbers disagree. And I want to be fair about this because I don't want to heap this all on coaching to make it sound like it's all about coaching. And I am bringing up Cowher's name on purpose because if we're just talking about Tomlin, then it's like, you know, going apple bobbing. Everybody's going to get one. Everybody's going to take a chunk out of Tomlin here. But you got to throw Cowher in the mix because it's been similar over the years. He had Woodson and Lake and Kirkland and Greg Lloyd and Jerome Bettis for a lot of it as well and Dermani Dawson. He had Hall of Famers too. And when everybody says that, well, Tomlin just inherited Cowher's talent and got to that one Super Bowl in 2008 and won it, well, then why didn't Cowher win more when he had those guys too at the back end when he had Roethlisberger and company? 412-333-9939. Now, the fair part of this, the should part of this is one the fact that the patriots have been in this era and two how many other teams besides them have gone to four super bowls since the steelers got to super bowl 30 and the answer to that question is one the denver broncos they've been to four super bowls just like the steelers have and then there's the patriots who have been to what eight at this point 
since then. Since the Steelers got to the Super Bowl under Cowher, their first one under him, Super Bowl 30, four for them, four for the Broncos, eight for the Patriots, five and three along the way. The Patriots are the Jordan-era Bulls. The Patriots are the Yankees of the 40s into the 50s. The Patriots are the Celtics of the 60s. They are a human asterisk for everybody else. So, like, when we say the Steelers should have gone to more Super Bowls, between the Suns, the Jazz, the Trailblazers, the Knicks, and the Supersonics, all of their fan bases are saying, we should have gotten an NBA championship. Well, how many more of those shoulds should have happened in the two years when Jordan was retired? You're going to have to take that into the math of all this. I'll also throw this on top of the debate, too. And I talked about this with Mark on Friday when I was on with him before I went to Chicago. If we analyze how the Patriots have gotten in the Steelers' way and how often they've played them in the Super Bowl in the regular season, which of those years was a Mike Tomlin team, especially, supposedly the best team in the AFC to get to the Super Bowl? Because if you look at when Tomlin's teams got into the playoffs, really not once have they been favored to get to the Super Bowl. So when people take shots at Tomlin more than they do Cower in this regard, at least remember that Cower, their team was the odds-on favorite. His team was to get to the Super Bowl in 1994 when they lost the Chargers. They had a clear path in 1997 when they gave up the home field advantage and the loss in the AFC Championship game to the Denver Broncos and to lead that game, by the way, too. They had home field advantage in Cowher's first year in 1992. So the Bills were still good back then, but a lot of people thought, well, the Steelers have home field advantage. Maybe the Bills have been to a couple. Now they're going to fall off. It didn't happen. So which of the Tomlin teams that didn't get to the Super Bowl should have? See, where I fault Tomlin more so than Cower is not putting the Steelers in position to pull off the upset that the Ravens did twice against New England, that the Jets did once against New England. Where Tomlin's teams have failed is not so much in the playoffs. It's putting themselves in the position to do so because they've had bad losses along the way in the regular season. Like, for instance, failing to get there in 12-13, and 13, losing in the first round to the Tim Tebow Denver Broncos. That's where I think you differentiate your criticism between the two coaches. But here's the thing. You can criticize without condemning. And that's what I choose to do when we have topics of conversation like this. When we go through Ben and Brown and Bell and talk about which one of these great Hall of Fame players is the best, which one is the least dispensable of the group, it makes you think, why haven't they won more with them? Why haven't they gone to more with them? And there are points of criticism that I just laid out that are 100% valid on both coaches. But people then just want to condemn the coaches and say, well, they weren't good and they didn't do a good enough job. And I don't think that's appropriate because a lot of that comes back to the players themselves. What did they do to fail to get further themselves? 412-333-9939. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from the car. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 hey, The how X. how you doing? Good. Hey, um... Uh, Damian Wooden's stats, they could be somewhat skewed because obviously if you're ahead in the first half, listed by 14 points, what are you going to do in the second half? You're going to run the ball. If you're behind 14 points, probably the running game is not working. You're going to throw the ball. So it kind of puts a little damper on those uh, stats in, the, in, in that way. But that is true. Thing- that is true. But one thing we need to remember about that, Mike, is and there's no real 
um, analytic that he cited which suggested this, but what were they doing in the first and second quarter with the run game to build that lead? Right, right. Now, there's a couple other points. I think Le'Veon Bell's great and A.B.'s great, but Ben's really the key. When Ben was out, A.B. wasn't getting as many yards and, and pass receptions. Uh, secondly, if you remember when Bettis came here from the Rams, he re, quote, revitalized his career by coming here. That's because he came to a place with a good offensive line. And if, if uh, Le'Veon Bell had to go to a team with a poor offensive line, I don't know that that hesitation run would work there. No, it probably and, uh, wouldn't. You're right about that, but I would also suggest that, as we described before with Roethlisberger, he has benefited from that offensive line just as much, if not more so, than Le'Veon Bell has. You know, In fact, I would say that the biggest difference in terms of support for Roethlisberger, and he said this himself, maybe not directly as a, like, don't consider this a slight to A.B. or Lev, but he keeps talking about so long as the offensive line is intact, I'm going to keep playing. That's what he keeps coming back to. He said that about the offensive line ad nauseum when people have asked him about retirement. He cites them more than he cites A.B. and Bell. Now, maybe that's because he knows Bell is gone, and he's trying to politic for the offensive lineman to stay, but he has said, he has made it sound like the line is more important to him than anything else, and frankly, I'd agree. Let's go to Dean calling from Kochberg. Hi, Dean. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Yeah, I, I agree with that last caller. Uh, like you said, uh, Bell, Bell's great. Brown's the man, but it, it comes down to Big Ben. Don't, don't get it twisted. He, without him, we're, we're a 500 ball team. And uh, of course, he likes that offensive line. I mean, what for four or five years, he led the league in getting sacked, and still taking us to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know if it was four or five years in a row, but yes, he took a lot of hits, and he certainly was yeah. pressured way more than he has been now. And that's kind of what I was talking about with Joe Rudder, and thanks for the call, Dean. That um, I, when, I, when I talk about players who are going to be difference makers, we'll get into that Joe Hayden thing later on, too. When I talk about players who are going to be difference makers, I'm assuming that the Steelers are going to get the same kind of productivity out of the killer bees in the offensive line because we all know those guys are good. And the one guy we can really say that about on the other side of the ball right now is, frankly, Cam Hayward, the one guy. Um, Stephon Tewitt, I love him too, but he's got to stay healthy and he's got to do more when he's in there. And the first guy to tell you that is Stephon Tewitt. He said that to me two years in a row now. So that's why most of the people that we're going to talk about in having a discussion surrounding the catalysts to elevate the Steelers beyond what they were last year, it's got to be different guys than the killer bees in the old line because we know how good they are already. Adam, who's calling from the road. Hi, Adam. You're on 105.9 The X. How's it going, Tim? Good. Uh, I just want to go back to your you're talking about Bill Power and how you know we, we have to look at his his tenure with the Steelers. And I, honestly, I'm 33, and I remember watching the Steelers, and it was always the same story. They're winning till the fourth quarter. They take the foot off the gas, and teams would come back and beat them. So everyone says Tomlin inherited a good Power team. I think he had him for a really long time, and just finally the blind squirrel got the nut and he got a Super Bowl win. But I, I really don't think we can say Tomlin has done anything wrong. Well, Tomlin inheriting Cowers players, if you look at the roster of the two Super Bowls, one thing that I think is highly underrated, appreciate it, Adam, is the difference between the 2010 team and the 2018 in the roster and who contributed. You look at the starters of the 2010 team that got to the Super Bowl versus the starters in 2008, it's incredibly different. 
especially those who played and contributed versus some who were still hanging around and weren't what they used to be, or even guys like Randall L. who left and came back, things like that. Uh, Larry Foote is another one, I think, that comes to mind there that they decided to bring back under Mike Tomlin. Um, My view on dismissing Tomlin's Super Bowl because you just want to credit Cower for it, well, then why did he miss the playoffs with that team the year before? And you could say it's because Ben was coming off the car wreck and wasn't very good. Then that goes back to the point about how indispensable Ben is versus Bell or Brown now. And if that team was so good under Cower and it would have won a Super Bowl anyway, not only why did it miss the playoffs in 2009, uh, why didn't it get to the Super Bowl the year before? So um, I take that back, 2006. Why didn't it get to the Super Bowl then in 2004 in Ben's rookie season? Well, because they lost to the Patriots. And that, that's why that Patriot divider, that remainder in the long division, that's why you have to keep coming back to it. There's always the Patriots left over there. That's why they've been eight of these things. 412-333-WXDX. Uh, plenty more in the Steelers to come. And I do want to get back to that concessions conversation, too. I'll give you an update on our web poll about whether or not it really matters, given all the talk that we've had about it. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Pirates at some point further along the way and their failure to draft and develop and how maybe that's been underrated in the discussion about why they are in the state of affairs that they are. All that to come. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You don't have an option. You think it's the you show? It's the me show. Hey, what's up, Mark? Come on. The whites, the robe, the hair, the woo. The X at 105.9. An update on the Shady McCoy situation. As you may have heard today, McCoy was accused of domestic battery on his former girlfriend, Uh, via Instagram. It was not a police criminal charge as of yet, but there were other allegations posted online as well as some very gruesome photos of a woman who was beaten. Uh, They were posted by this woman's friend who claimed that Shady was responsible for it, also beating his son for wetting the bed and beating a dog as well. Uh, McCoy put out a very direct rebuke of those allegations now TMZ has posted a 911 call, and the suggestion is: Do we, do we have the 911 call? Actually, we can play it here. Three engine 43, copy a send request, and it's going to be in reference to a female who was assaulted, hit in the head, locked in the bathroom. You will need to stage for PD on this one. We do have PD en route in reference to a home invasion where a son was taken. Timeout 323. Okay, and the belief is apparently that she was, what, squatting in Shady's house? That he tried to kick her out and she wouldn't leave? And the allegation apparently has become, perhaps even that Shady didn't do it himself, but he sent people to do it if she got in the way? And she was allegedly beaten by these people at the house. And that's where the investigation is going now. Here are the quotes that have come out from the Bills. Uh, The Bills released this statement. We have spoken to LaShawn and have been in contact with the National Football League. We'll continue to gather information. According to the AP, the NFL also released a short statement. Quote, we are reviewing the matter. The account which originally posted the photo of the woman and McCoy's accusation has since deleted the picture and sent the Instagram to private. Uh, that is from Bill's Wire via the USA Today NFL platform. So if anything else happens between now and the end of the show, we will let you know. But again, McCoy has uh, rebuked these allegations and denied 
the charges. 412-333-WXDX. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. Before the commercial break, we were talking about football and we were talking about the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown of the group who is the least dispensable. I still think it's Ben because the quarterback position is that much more important. You could agree or disagree on that front, but remember, this is coming from somebody who throughout the course of the Le'Veon Bell contract haggle and contract rancor, I have fervently defended Bell and his football playing ability, whereas a lot of people have tried to use some diminishing stats to tear him down as a player and suggest he's not worth what he is asking for. Look, I think player-wise, he's still great, pro bowler. In my opinion, still the best running back in the game. I don't think he's worth $14.5 million like he's asking for right now. I wouldn't pay him that either, but I think trying to tear down Bell's argument by citing he's not that good of a player is nuts. But I also think it's crazy to suggest that you can more easily replace a quarterback than you can a running back. So you can chime in on that. And uh, we hung up on a bunch of people before who wanted to get in on this whole debate about the um, concessions at NFL games. If you missed the Post-Gazette story that was posted today, it was kind of a follow-up on something that I saw at Falcons Wire, I saw at Ravens Wire doing the work that I do for USA Today. I commented on it back then. And the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article tried to bring it home to a local level here with the Steelers. The inference being that more people might go to games or at least enjoy the game day experience more if concession prices were lowered. So I put that out on Twitter, and last time I checked, only 13% of you agreed with that assessment, and I'm with the majority here. You know, if you take beer down from 8 bucks to 5 bucks, if you take a hot dog down from 6 bucks to 3 bucks, that's not going to get me back in the door again. Would it encourage me to buy more while I'm there? Yeah, it would. But I can't think of that many play, uh, people that are going to avoid going to a football game and paying like 90 to $100 for a ticket based on how much the hot dog or the beer costs. I'd be less inclined to pay more once I get there. But if I can afford the ticket, then I can probably afford one beer. If I can afford the ticket, I could probably afford one hot dog. You know, and the the funny thing was like the correlation that was made at least in the Baltimore story of this was kind of like well people were upset about the anthem so we're going to lower hot dog prices what are you kidding me if your convictions are that strong that you're going to give up on your NFL team because of the anthem kneeling thing and you're going to be swayed because of the price of a hot dog and it goes down from $6 to $3 then how patriotic are you really so like like three bucks over a hot dog is suddenly going to make you forget about the fact that you were mad allegedly because people were kneeling on the sidelines. What a false equivalence that is. 412-333-9939. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from Ohio. Hi, Steve. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Great show. Thank you. Uh, I could not agree with you more on pretty much everything you're talking about today. The thing that kind of gets my dander up is this whole Ben Roethlisberger thing where it's almost as if now in his career – People like to, it's almost like, the, you know, throwing shade his way. And, you know, I know the 2014 season statistically was probably his best, where he threw for almost 5,000 yards and 32 touchdowns. But if you look at his numbers recently, they're not horribly dramatically off of that. And, you know, if you go back and, and look at his historical context, I mean, 
The guy is three wins away in the playoffs from tying Joe Montana for second all-time in playoff wins. He's never had a losing season. Um, he's been to three Super Bowls, won two of those. Now, I get some people don't like Ben because of the earlier off-field uh, situations and earlier in his career, but the fact of him as a player and some of these comments from some NFL guys saying, well, he's not the guy anymore and he only is being you know, uh, pulled along by Antonio Brown and Left Bell, um, I just find that kind of disrespectful in regards to... Well, you know what? Carr actually brought that up even more directly than Damian Woody did. Damian Woody brought up you know, the, the raw football angle, but when I talked to David Carr in our, our Trib podcast, he suggested that the off-the-field stuff should be brought into the equation. He was direct about it. He said, you know, not so much about the allegations in Milledgeville or, or Reno or anything like that, but he was talking more about, for instance... Uh, flirting with retirement and then saying he's going to come back and play for three years or uh, you know, throwing uh, at times his offensive coordinator and Todd Haley under the bus or things like uh, being uh, showing up for day one of OTAs then disappearing for the next five or six and then coming back and saying, well, it's just for a family vacation and talking about the importance of being uh, on the same page with the offensive coordinator change and Randy Feetner. Well, why are you being absent then was his point. So uh, he has brought in the off-field stuff about Roethlisberger and I'll be honest with you. I think that's a stretch, especially in the part of Carr, for him to go so far as to then say that Benny isn't even a top 10 quarterback anymore, which I think is ludicrous. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, not being in the top five, I mean, there might be a debate with that. I still think he's a top five quarterback, but to have him out of the top 10 is, to me, absurd. I, I just, when I, when yeah, I, yeah, it's too much. That, I, it's too far. For, you know, I, I get where Carr's coming from when he said, and he tried to modify that statement by saying, well, look, I was doing this from the view of, if I were starting a franchise today, I would pick so-and-so and so-and-so. Okay, well, then he left Carson Wentz off the list. He left Deshaun Watson off the list. He left Jared Goff off the list. How do you, lose, how do you leave those three guys off the list if the suggestion is, I'm starting my franchise today? That's counterintuitive. Stan Saver next. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. What up, man? There's always been an unspoken dynamic. I am a lot smarter than you. Okay, so maybe it's a spoken dynamic. The X at 105.9. Tim Benson for Mark Madden joining me right now. You can hear him daily upstairs on ESPN Pittsburgh. You can catch him on AT&T Sportsnet as well. It is the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media. Stan Saverny is brought to us by Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. They got your back, not your wallet. Stan, our wallets have been gotten by multiple sports teams for decades when it comes to paying concessions at games. Big topic of conversation coming up from the Post-Gazette today about concessions at the NFL stadiums across America. Are we paying too much? And If we paid less, do you think more people would go? Well, it's interesting. I don't know if more people would go, but I thought that the, I, I, I talked about this on my show yesterday. What I found interesting was that the Atlanta Falcons, who most appropriately play in a place called their Mercedes-Benz Dome, um, no relation, I assume, Tim, um, and, and from what I understand, you know, the cost of a hot dog was about the equal to that of a Mercedes-Benz. They lowered the prices, and people per capita ended up spending more. Uh, I asked fans yesterday, I don't know if they're adjusted based on market size. I mean, you go anywhere, a hot dog is going to cost you more in New York than it's going to cost in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if that's true at stadiums. And, and to be honest with you, uh, when I go to a ball game, um, just as a spectator, which isn't often, um, 
I don't go to the concession stands. Uh, the lines don't appeal to me. Missing the game doesn't appeal to me. And my dad drumming into my head, we're here to watch the game, not to eat. Uh, from one time I was nine, I still remember that. Um, but people seem to think that concession prices were way too high. I think that they had a bigger complaint uh, about the merchandise, but I think a lot of that is set by the leagues because they get a big cut of that. So my question is, Tim, do they adjust it based on market size like everything else? You know, what cost in L.A. should cost less in Pittsburgh? Yeah, you know what? I was just at Wrigley as a fan stand this past weekend, and I found the prices to be commensurate maybe not exactly identical but in some areas uh very similar to what you get at pnc park like for nachos and pretzels and things like that it was very similar maybe the price of beer and hot dogs was slightly more at wrigley than at pnc but it's not like i felt like uh, i was getting scammed more at wrigley than i did at the pirates just as a for instance i wonder in the case and by the way i'm just talking about Concessions, not baseball. I know I'm getting scammed for baseball well, at PNC yeah. <laughs> Park. I've known that for years. Well, that's the thing. It, it seems to me, and I, again, I, I, I get it, um, especially if you go with kids. You know, you're gonna have, you get them stuff to eat and whatever, and you know. But I, I, I don't know that that necessarily. I think it. it I, I, let me put it this way: I don't think it keeps people away from the ballpark. Uh, I don't think it helps attract them. Um, but I, I don't think that. That's the primary reason if we're looking to say, well, why aren't they going in Pittsburgh? I mean, attendance is down all over Major League Baseball. Um, it's, it's down by nearly 8% over last year. Um, i got to believe it's the product and not the products that they're selling. Stan Sovereign with us from ESPN Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet. Stan, since we're talking about baseball and the product, I was going to bring this up at some point in the program anyway, so now's a good segue. And that is, I wrote something for the trip today regarding the Pirates and their inability to draft and develop talent. And I sort of just picked from what I saw in that game as a fan between the Reds and the Cubs when I was there on Saturday. And I saw, you know, Ian Happ and Kyle Schwarber and Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras and all these guys from the Cubs with, admittedly, their bloated payroll. But so many of these guys, Almora, who pinch hit that day, hitting three twenty six, these major contributors to Chicago... These are their own guys. You know, like, I know they, they've got Lester on a big ticket, and they've got a bunch of other guys that they signed, like Jason Hayward and so forth, but the crux of what their stars were, especially on that day and in that lineup, against the Reds, who have three guys on the All-Star team, like Votto, who's their own guy, Jeanette, who they scooped up off waivers, these guys are their own. It's not like they were store-bought with bigger budgets, and that's where I think the biggest failing from a baseball perspective, has occurred with the Pirates? There is no question. There is no question whatsoever. First of all, their self-stated mantra was, well, we're a smaller market. You know, we're not going to be in on the bidding for Bryce Harper. I think people get that. They understand that. But I thought, Tim, even a better example, more than the Cubs, was the recent series against the Dodgers. I actually did some homework. I know, shocking, but I did. Um, and I looked at the major contributors to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes, Clayton Kershaw was a number one draft pick, available to the Pirates, by the way. Um, and yes, Yasiel Puig 
was a guy that, that you know they they were able to get because they had more money and they could outbid him. And let's face it, you know the market that he's playing in, playing in L.A. was a big factor. But I also looked up some of the major contributors. Cody Bellinger, I believe, was a ninth or eleventh round draft pick. Turner was taken off the scrap heap. The same thing with Max Muncy. These guys were signed on minor league contracts. They were out of a job. You know how they offer guys, you know, minor league contract, come to spring training. Well, they did. They saw some talent there. Um, they had an, uh, another guy. I'm trying to remember who it was. He's a fourth round. Forget about first round draft picks. I mean, I'm talking about guys who were either off the scrap heap or they came in a trade, not necessarily as the main attraction of the trade, but throw-ins, that sort of thing. And it wasn't like they put together this all-star team. Yeah, they can go out and buy whatever it is they, they don't have, but it also hasn't been good for them in terms of actually winning a World Series. But my point is, you know, you see guys like Muncie and you see guys like Bellinger who just, you know, beat him to death. These are 11th round draft picks. And then you, you know, you take a look, uh, and the Pirates self-stated, uh, uh mantra, um, you know, you look at it and you, and you look at, uh, you know, 2008, you drafted Pedro. Uh, Mercer was a good pick. Justin Wilson, they used in a trade. Grossman, they ended up not uh, playing here. Uh, 2009, the fourth overall pick, Tony Sanchez. Um, in 2010, Tyone, all right. Stetson Alley, second round pick and paid them a lot of money uh when you start thinking about what they've done with the draft um there's the there it is right there yeah yeah so are they getting the wrong guys or are they just not developing them you know and either way it's not excusable but i mean like if 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 hunting if we were to bring this to huntington and say you're drafting the wrong guys he could tell us a million reasons why they drafted the right guys but then the question becomes well why isn't tyon better why wasn't cole better before he went to houston uh why haven't polanco and Marte? you mentioned stetson alley i'll give you another one whatever happened to heredia wasn't he supposed to be a savior another guy that they got internationally Yep, no, no question. You know, sixteen-year-old Mexican pitcher. I mean, you're taking a gamble on a guy like that. But I mean, he, whether it is drafting the right guys or developing the right guys, the same guy is still in charge of all that. Right. Yes. Exactly. Well, whatever. The, you know, that's part of it. Um, you know, merely drafting a guy but not developing. Uh, that's all a part of it. They go hand in hand, and the same person is responsible for not developing individually but hiring the people who do the developing i think another way to go about is former pirate draftees who have gone on and had success in other organizations uh there have been some who have some you know who haven't they haven't necessarily been bad trades i mean a guy like brock colt he you know he's been a very solid utility guy for the Red Sox, but you got Hanrahan in return for him. You can't complain about that. But, I mean, I think a guy like, here's a good example, I think, Tim, Reese McGuire, 13th overall pick. They ended up in the big salary dump involving Liriano and the Blue Jays, and they said when they made the deal, well, he wasn't that good anyway. Well, if he wasn't that good anyway, why in the world did you draft him 13th overall? Right. Right, and he and he ends up he's he, he he's 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 not even he's in somebody else's organization now. But I mean, he's a double A, triple A player. But I mean, that's not that's that's not development. That's drafting the wrong guy. Stan Saverin with us. All right, Stan. Let's move on to the Steelers. I got two questions for you. Question number one is: Give me a guy aside from like the killer bees and the O line, guys that we know that are stars with the Steelers right now. A guy who might be on that second level that really needs to up his game for Pittsburgh to get to the Super Bowl this year and get beyond the Jaguars and the Patriots. Well, um, I, I I look at Bud Dupree. 
Um, That's a good one. He's going to be on my list for the trip. I know that. Yeah, Bud Dupree. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to tag the rookies. They're going to need some, uh, you know, help from Edmonds at the position, just because they're weak at the position. Um, and I, I, I would say Vince Williams, but I, I don't have. We've seen the best he has to offer, and it's not good enough. And whatever. There's another guy that I want to add to that, Tim, and it's putting a lot of pressure, um, I suppose, on him. I think Vance McDonald could make a I know people, the offense is fine. Vance McDonald could be a huge addition to that offense, especially because there are two kind of unknowns. I'm not worried about them, but let's remember something. You know, Juju now goes from the slot guy to the number two guy. So can he function as well in that role? And can James Washington be the third guy? Maybe the answer to those two questions are Vance McDonald. When he's healthy, which hasn't been terribly often, you have to like what you see. I mean, there's a guy who can make a huge difference. So I'm going to say Bud Dupree on defense. There are others, but Bud Dupree. Um, and, and on offense, I'm going to say uh, Vance McDonald. I mean, he, he could be a huge addition to them. Damian Woody says that Le'Veon Bell is more important to the Steelers' offense than Big Ben. David Carr suggested that Ben Roethlisberger is being buoyed by all the talent around him. Of the killer bees, Stan, who is the least dispensable of the bunch? Well, it all goes through the quarterback. And you can, you know, the age-old argument, does the receiver make the quarterback or vice versa? I mean, obviously, you know, they they both uh, come into play. But because he is not only in his performance, but getting people in the right spots, you know, checking out of things at the line of scrimmage, although, of course, when the play doesn't work, it's the offensive coordinator's fault, as we've all learned over the years. Um, I mean, you have to go with the quarterback. I mean, if if the quarterback is a, uh, you know, a game manager, that kind of guy, then no, you look to somebody else. Uh, But given the latitude that Ben has gotten in the offense, whatever people want to think, he does, he did. We're also hearing now that there's going to be a lot more no huddle. We know he likes that. Feekner apparently is on board. Uh, again, we're, we're you know picking straws here, but I, I would have to say, Ben, given the particular circumstances of how things operate around here. Finally, Stan, we've spent a lot of time this offseason talking about the talent that the Steelers have and have defended Roethlisberger against claims like that or said maybe he should have been higher in the top 50 or top 100 that was put out by the NFL Network. And uh, ESPN came out with a list of the top rosters. The Steelers were seventh, the third best offense. If the Steelers have had so much talent over the years, and I'll even push it back to the Cower years, uh, since 92, should they have gone to more Super Bowls? Well, it's a big question, but should they have gone to more Super Bowls in the Cower-Tomlin era? I'll, I'll, and this is their fault for not having it, although that's the way the NFL works, there are two factors involved here. Up until a year ago, not the Jacksonville playoff game, um, I'm trying to think, um, the year before, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, and Ben Roethlisberger had never played a full playoff game together. That's right, and they were all either out or injured to some degree or another in that Denver game, too. Ben played injured, Antonio Brown was out, and Bell was out. Uh, Exactly. Um, So I I know 
you know, I had a guy in today from Bleacher Report. He wrote an article about the best coach, uh, head coach and coaching staff. He rated Tomlin number four. Of course, you know, people around here screamed. The guy, when I talked to him, couldn't believe it. But that's, you know, welcome to Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, listen, he's uh, got to be held accountable. What happened with Jacksonville last year at Heinz Field was a disgrace, an absolute disgrace what happened there. But I think there are two factors. Number one, if their real strength was an offense, they never had that offense together. And even Jacksonville, they scored 42 points of the last seven with garbage time. They never had the offense together. The second part is, is that they have never fully replenished the defense. That defense, you could see it, Tim, in the Super Bowl. I mean, Aaron Rodgers torched them. Even the, the, the biggest downfall uh, was in 2011. They went 12-4 and four that year, and that's the year they lost to Tebow in Denver. But you could see the underpinnings of what had been a magnificent defense was starting to crumble. I mean, you could see it happening. Mm-hmm. And then when it did, you know, the walls came tumbling down like the walls of Jericho. And, you know, they, they had drafted so much for offense, then they began putting their resources into defense. And I, I think that they were starting to get better. They're nowhere near what they need to be. Now, without Shazier, it's going to be a real heavy lift. So my answer, much longer than you needed it to be, was the offense was never completely healthy, although not a total excuse. And they just weren't able to rebuild the defense commensurate with how advanced their offense was when healthy. And can I add a third element? Sure. It's the Houston Oilers of the 1970s. They just grew up at the wrong time. Yeah, they've got they've got the Jordan Bulls, and they just happen to be in New England now. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, what I always say to this, Stan, is it, it's not like we sit around in Pittsburgh and say, hey, you know what, the Seahawks should have gone to more Super Bowls. What's wrong with Pete Carroll? The Chicago Bears should have gone to more than one Super Bowl. What's wrong with Ditka? And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, huge fan. Love the show. Because that's what you got to do. Hey, Mark, big fan and all that. I, 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 I think you're on to something. The X at 105.9. Mark out today. Tim Benz in here on 105.9 The X. Bob McLaughlin joins me right now. Brought to us by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. First and foremost, Bob the Onion has tweeted out a photo of one of the Thai soccer players with mud on his face standing outside of a cave with the caption, Parent still hasn't picked up kid yet. Too soon? No, no. No, it's uh, the Onion, where the Onion is concerned, it's all fair game. I, I mean, looking- they're the best at what they do. You're having a crap day. Jump online, see what the onion has to You're say. You're having a crap day. Think about those kids for the last 18 days in the cave. Well, they're having a great day today. Although, did you see they are trying to get them to the world? They can't Cup? go. Can't go. Yeah. Can't they... even look at, at the light outside because they've been in the dark for too long. Is that right? Yeah, they had to put sunglasses on them. Are they as still they wearing sunglasses? Cage. Yeah. Uh, I was just wondering if Jeselnik had started writing for the onion when I saw that headline. Oh, my. Gilbert Gottfried, Anthony Jeselnik. <laughs> um, it's funny. I, I tweeted that, that story to Bill Crawford. Because every once in a while, Bill Crawford will have to defend comedy. You know, and how far you can go. The Comedy Defense Foundation. Exactly. All the comedy cops out there right now, you know, you you think they think you've gone one step too far. There's more more business to be had from being offended than there is business to be made from being funny. Well put. Well put. That's where we are now. 
and, and I hate it. And, and all the, the people don't want any action. Do you know over, how they just want to be heard? Right, exactly. And they want you to understand that they're annoyed by it or that they don't think it's funny. The guys in the morning show next door made a joke about how hot Heather Abraham's new haircut was, and some guy tried to attack him for being sexist today. Uh, that's Mikey and Big Bob. No, no. Talk about this. The uh, the fan. Oh, got it, got it, okay. Sorry, little... next door, you're pointing to the wall. Well, that's, well no, this is more my left hand. I'm pointing <laughs> See, out. for you radio Actually, audience at home. Was, no, my, my thumb was exactly pointing to Foster Plaza over there. I was spot on with my direction. Now, I'm going to take a picture of that, because when you went like this, you actually went all the way around, <laughs> and your thumb was pointing right at Mikey and Big Bob's studio. I was curving. It was gotcha. for the win. I was adjusting for the win. But, no, but I mean, so, you know um, what I'm talking about, right? That's absolutely. ridiculous. Absolutely. Like, get over yourself. But there, there's more money to be made in being offended than there is in making people laugh. Like, Do, do you know how long... I went around saying exactly what I said on the air today with those Stockdale references because I knew it wouldn't get into print last night when I wrote the column right. about the Stockdale paradox. Right. Like, You're wasting more time. I got 50 out. jokes lined up here right. and not one of them's going to make it in print. So I left 49 of them on the cutting room floor and I went with the most tame one that I could because people were going to try to be offended. I haven't even checked my email today. I'm sure people acted like they were offended in my email too. Tim, I'm offended that you didn't check your email yeah, today. I'm, I'm sure they should. Um, we got to get to this embalming story, though, right? Because you remember, we were still, do still doing the morning show together when, was the guy, where was he from? Somewhere out east, right? Or was, was he it Wilkinsburg? Wilkinsburg? Or I, th I think it was Wilkinsburg. All right. So for this, some reason, I remember the funeral home at least hosting him there. I think it was 2006. There was this Steeler fan who died. And he set up the funeral home for the viewing as if he was there watching a Steeler game. Remember right. that? They brought the Barkle, They brought the old chair in. They brought his table. They brought the lamp, the Steeler lamp. His terrible towel. The terrible towel. His Steeler slippers. And he was wearing his Jerome Bettis jersey. Exactly. And that's they, how people went to go see him at the wake. That's how he was laid out. He had a beer on the table next to him, and they put the remote in his hand. And he it, was good it, to go. Yeah, that's a name now. It's called Extreme Embalming. And it's a thing. So not only did we get the furries going here, extreme embalming is courtesy of us as well. Tim, I can beat that. As you were telling me you were going to talk about this, I just Googled something real quick. There are places called the Dignity Planner. If you are a sports fan, the DignityPlanner.com will help you lay yourself out and get all of your stuff together so that you can be laid out perfectly with your favorite sports team, memorabilia, logo, whatever you want, you can bring your Steeler Cave to the viewing home. Well, there's nothing more dignified than being laid out in your Heath Miller Bumblebee jersey. Right, and it's not just sports. If you're a chef, if you're a gardener, if you're an angler. Because once you cast out, Tim, if you're not getting any bites, who's even going to know if you're dead or alive? You're just standing there. Well, the reason I bring this up is because there was this guy who did the same thing as the dude in Pittsburgh. He was a video game freak. And he loved the Celtics. He was from New Orleans. He got killed in New Orleans. Right. He got shot, right? He got shot, yeah. He got shot! And he's wearing his Kyrie Irving jersey, playing a video game with a cap on and sunglasses, laying back in his lounge chair. I, I, thought, he, I thought the picture... Well, don't was, forget the shoes. He had, had his favorite team shoes on. Right, had the f favorite kicks on. I saw the photo. I thought it was a photo of him still alive. Uh, that's why I tweeted it. I had no idea. It looked more realistic I, than the Onion Taiwanese <laughs> soccer player kid. I know that. It was perfect because he's positioned. He's propped up. Like he Holding is just the playing a game. The only way you know it's, it's at a funeral home, when you look in the background and you see the velvet ropes and you see like funeral home stuff. But it's one thing when you're 80. Even this guy from Pittsburgh, I guess he had battled cancer for a while. He gave it a good go and he just didn't win the fight. Right. People kind of knew it was coming. <laughs> this kid got shot. And they're doing like... 
when it comes suddenly and you're that young, is there a little different tone? Hey, Tim, when you go, you don't care. So however you want to be remembered, I mean, obviously this kid took the time to plan this out and to say, when I go, here's what I want. I just want to know, like, was the, was, do people come up and like play them? <laughs> like rigor mortis is set in around. Right, this man, control. just beat you 48-0. God, how did I still throw a pick six though? How did that happen? I knew I shouldn't have started Landry. When I go, I want to be, this is how I want to be remembered, doing exactly what I was doing during the commercial break, looking at Desi Mitchison's Instagram. <laughs> well done. All right, when we come back, I, I want to get to this Steelers stairway to seven thing, this topic of conversation. I need some nominees. I want you to do my work for me for the trip. We'll do that when we come back in 30 seconds here on 105.9 The X.